this universe, we look at a lot of things like failure is not such a bad thing. If you're not failing, you maybe you're not trying hard enough. Welcome to Ending Pending. I'm your host, Andy. I'm clinically incapable of minding my own business, and I'm Evan. I'm a cylindrical smokestack, and I'm Ronnie. If you couldn't tell from that very good, good introduction, Ending Pending is a podcast where we discuss television shows that have only lasted for a single season. We are currently covering the high school theater department of NBC's Rise, Mm -hmm. but before we get into that, I have one of my patented goofs as Evan scares our cats. I can't wait to take this goof all the way to the patent office. So last week was Christmas. I'm sorry. Last week was Candlelight's Pass. <laughs> this week is Candlelight's Present. In case you can't tell, I'm doing like an Ebenezer Scrooge, Charles Dickens thing. Oh. So I would like to hear a story about your Candlelight's Present. Hmm. Candlelight's Present. We got a fake tree. At the at the Ronnie residence this year, and oh, we it's, we got our first Christmas tree, and it's also fake. Yeah, it's pre lit, and it's the best thing I've ever done in my entire life. I'm so proud and, of you. And I think that includes um, marrying the love of my life, but I also think that she would agree with that as well. That this is this not having to light a tree and not having to pay a bajillion dollars to some guy in a in a Boy Scout parking lot. Um, to like one year, oh my goodness, one year, they tied the tree to our car, and they tied us into the car. What the fuck? Like, we couldn't get out of the car when we got back to our apartment. We had to like saw out with knives and keys and stuff. Um, so no more of that with our a nice, wonderful, fake Christmas tree. And we bought a candle that smells like Christmas tree, so we're covered. <laughs> we're good. Uh... Yeah, Andy and I. So I'm. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna steal your, your whole concept, Ronnie. Ah, you stole you it. Yeah, you cannot TM that Christmas tree. Nope. Andy and I also got our first Christmas tree that we have ever voluntarily bought this Christmas present. Um, it is also a pre-lit, uh, fake tree. Isn't it the best? I, um, I have never participated. Well, I shouldn't say never. Not since I was a very young child. Have we participated in the uh, real Christmas tree uh, cultural zeitgeist? Yeah. Um, Because my dad is very allergic to pine. Hmm. So for the first few years of my memory, he was very committed to like doing the whole Christmas experience with his children. So we would go to a field and we would cut down a Christmas tree. And then my dad would... his. He would get all puffy, and he would be unable to breathe for several days, and it was just a miserable experience to him. So, like, more power to him for enduring that for whatever, like, he thought this was very important that we experience this as children. But, yeah, we're just used to fake Christmas trees. They're so much better. I I thought it... I lost where you were talking about there, and I thought that you just went out to, like, at what timeline you got a fake Christmas tree, and I, it sounded like you just went out, you did the whole experience, went out to a field, cut down a tree, and just left it there. Like, y- y'all were just, like, really into deforestation this time of the year. <laughs> no, we went 
to a field, cut down a Christmas tree, and brought it back to our sure, house to sure. put Christmas decorations upon. Right, as You're, is the tradition that people right. do. Your father I, just I liked suffered. Ronnie's interpretation, though. Yeah, <laughs> like like Eminem once said, "Just stick your dick in the dirt and fuck the whole universe." What? <laughs> Eminem. That is a that's excellent Marshall parallel Matters. to this situation. Just that- cut down the tree, fuck the planet. Anyway, Andy and I have, uh, we had a Christmas tree for the last couple of years, but it was a, a very cheap, dinky, hand-me-down tree. This year, I have purchased us a, a fake Christmas tree that shall be our Christmas tree for all of the Candle Nights future. It's mm-hmm. gorgeous. It, it is It is worthy of Candle Nights. It's a beautiful tree. So, uh, my story of Candle Nights present uh, happened tonight, actually. <gasps> I work at a uh, worldwide um, popular coffee distributor, uh, Starbucks, and um, we have... Space dollars. We have a, a customer who I refer to as the Bard. I don't I don't know his real name because uh, my store, we're a little naughty. We, we really typically don't ask for names. And uh, don't, don't tell Uncle Howard. <clears throat> And the bard comes in. He always has a very colorful vest on. He has a uh, diversity makes us stronger rainbow pin. He has a very uh, like kind of boho chic bag. That his bag is always full of fruit snacks. (laughs) And a recorder. And he'll ask how many people are working and he'll give us all fruit snacks. I know this to be true because Andy routinely brings home like just fistfuls of fruit snacks. They're not very good fruit snacks. My my coworkers hate them, so I get all of them. They're, well, they're not good fruit snacks. I love them. They're they're, they're they're real sticky kind. They're not chewy. They're not like gelatin springy. They're like very sticky. Don't Can talk just, shit on the Bard's fruit snacks. I was gonna say so far so far love this Bard. This is yeah. my favorite Bard ever so far. And typically he will not play his recorder till he like after he gets his coffee he'll get like five feet away from the door and then he'll start playing as he leaves so like you only hear like maybe like four seconds of recorder as he goes on his way tonight though was a different story (gasps) tonight he came in he gave me my fruit snacks i got him his coffee and he stands uh in the middle of the store and uh, he whips out his recorder, and he's like, would you like some holiday cheer? And I was like, fuck yes. <laughs> and, Did uh, he play Get Dressed, You Merry Gentlemen? No, better. Oh. He played all of The Little Drummer Boy. Ooh. Do you know how many verses there are in The Little Drummer Boy? Too many. <laughs> Too many is right. He played the whole thing. But he played it like, on a recorder. There was no drum involved, so no. it was especially and also no vocals. So like the the verses were identical to each other. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he just oh. kept going, and um, He played it quite well. It's not like a, a you know fourth grade recorder uh, rehearsal or some shit. I mean, a grown like, person who has spent all of their musical energy devoted to the recorder, they better be able to belt on that thing. Yeah, and he got a standing O from the, like, eight people that were in my store. 
And then he just went on his little merry way, uh, kind of like singing to himself as he left. And I was just like, uh, a customer looked at me and was like, do you know that guy? And I was like, yeah, man, he's in here all the time. He gives me fruit snacks. I love that dude. And the, the guy was like, look, man, that's a little weird, but like, cool. And I was like, yep, <laughs> sums it up. But it, it gave me some Candle Nights cheer uh, because it was truly uh, bizarre, but I felt like very in the spirit of the little drummer boy. Like, Jesus, I, I don't got like gold, frankincense, or myrrh, but I can play this recorder real good. And, and I have these fruit snacks. Here's some fruit snacks, bitches. <laughs> fruit snacks for the baby Jesus. <laughs> the littlest Beb. That's we got to leave good. fruit snacks out for Santa now. We should. We should because leave. Santa and the baby Jesus are the same person, and that's why we have Christmas. But we celebrate Krampus in this house because he supports our podcast. Uh, Krampus, not. Krampus, Krampus, and Santa are like BFFs. They're they're buddies. They are they gay? I mean, maybe. Let's make them gay. This uh, the Krampus Santa relationship sounds like one of those uh, situations that only happens in fan fiction, where like bitter enemies like ha- like end up having sex for some reason and then since it's banned from facebook which one do you think is the top and which is the bottom oh i don't know i i santa's bottom i I was gonna disagree with you based on everything that i know about interpersonal dynamics santa's a top but in that relationship you think that krampus is a bottom did you see that? I don't Netflix? know. He's very, he's very impish. Did you see that Netflix movie that just came out with the Santa who fucks? Oh yes, that is actually <laughs> a genuinely good movie. <laughs> I didn't finish it, but that Santa, like you're telling me, that Santa's a bottom. Uh, I mean, that Santa is not a bottom, but Krampus from the movie Krampus. I don't know. Um. I could I could see Krampus as a bottom. Let's play the game called Ronnie Pretends to Know Anything About Gay Culture. <laughs> it's a great game. <laughs> I, I lose. I, I, I love kind of putting you putting you out there. Uh, I I see I see how uh, a straight person would look at this dynamic. Mm-hmm. You got to get into the subtleties. You sure, got to get a little sure. bit more subtle than just like. Which one's the tough one? Sure. And which one's the sensitive one? Krampus got Honestly, those horns. I could Krampus see got those being... horns you can hold on to, I guess, right? <laughs> I could see them being switches, and whoever tops and whoever bottoms, it's determined by how many naughty or nice kids there were in that given year. And that's they only what it fuck is. Once a year. That is exactly <laughs> what it is. <laughs> Did it's, I just solve it's the canon. gay It's <laughs> the canon gay riddle? <laughs> You've solved my gay Krampus riddle. Although I guess it was your gay Krampus. Who gay Krampus riddle was this? It was, what are we talking it about? It was Christmas's riddle. We solved it. You hear that, kids? If you're naughtier than the rest of the planet, then Krampus is a top this year. <laughs> Everyone be naughty so Krampus gets the top. I think, so, I think Krampus um, is the I top like- more than he's the bottom, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, we got to maintain this. Anyway. Real real talk, I just need to warn our listeners. Um, after about 13 minutes of Krampus sex talk, um, we're recording this very, very late. Yeah. And I, I had a it particularly is... long day. 
And uh, this this one might be a little uh, a little saucy. Let's talk about this show. Let's talk about this this. I am going to get punchy show. and defensive and a little bit tipsy. If we're all being okay. honest, here. I'm gonna I'm gonna say some some unhappy things about this show, Ronnie. I'm apologizing in advance. You you, you don't have to apologize in advance. That's what the defensiveness is for. <laughs> All right, well, I'm just letting you know. It won't hurt my feelings when you immediately snap back at me. Sounds good, because I'll do All it. All right. Okay, let me do these summaries. What what episodes of this show did we watch, Evan? We And what show did we watch? This show, this show that we watched is called Rise. Rise. It was on the television network NBC. Fun fact about Rise did you know that much like Roar, there is also a Katy Perry song named Rise? Oh wow! I think this is uh, this is becoming the theme of our podcast. We review one season TV shows that also share names with Carrie, Katy Perry songs. I don't think it has like a real like triumphant chorus like Roar does, or else I'd play it right now. Maybe I will anyway later. I just I was I was doing a little YouTube for Rise, and I saw Katy Perry, and I was like, "Katy Perry, get out of my podcast!" <laughs> you want Katy Perry in the podcast? Come on! We, I mean, she she'd be invited, but it's just like you're just showing up without an invite. All right, let me. I went all went to this work to think about these episodes. Evan, tell me all about episodes me, four, five, and six of Rise. He has handwritten okay. notes. I have. I'm excited uh, for them. They're not good notes, anyway. Um, so, episode four. Uh, Lou encourages another teacher to ask out Tracy, who's the ex-theater director and currently is Lou's, like, assistant, basically. She's pissed off about this because she thinks um, he should be minding his own business. Uh, Football Man and Lillette start getting real, like, flirty. And Football Man's dad is a huge classist douche to the worst the worst um a football man loses an important football battle and the other football (laughs) men are (laughs) are, but you call it a football battle um uh, a football match um (laughs) and the the they have like a party at his house and all the other football men are huge douches to the drama kids Specifically the trans one, because, like, fucking, of course they are. And uh, Football Man must now deal with the football people versus drama people thing, because he's got to defend the drama people, but he still wants to be on the football team, and that's a whole thing. Um, Episode 5, Lou's son continues to have issues with alcohol and authority and stuff. Surprise, surprise, footballing extra hard did not cure him. Uh, Football Man and Lillette are dating now. Gwen's parents uh, are getting divorced. Uh, Gwen is the the one that I referred to as a prima donna earlier. She's the one who's normally the star of all the things and isn't anymore. And her dad is the football coach. And her dad is, is or was banging Lillette's mom. Um, Lou undermines the music director. And the music director is pissed off about it understandably 
and then Lilette's mom punches her asshole boss and gets fired. Um, and then in episode six, uh, Lou wants to build this crazy expensive set, and he's having a increasingly difficult time balancing theater and family life. Um, Lilette can't do rehearsal at normal times anymore because she has to work more to pay rent because her mom doesn't have a job now. Um, I actually could lost track of whether this happened in episode five or six, but Simon kissed the dude he's supposed to be kissing in the play. Uh, and then, six. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. But in episode six, he's frantically <laughs> trying to uh, have sex with a girl to like prove to himself that he's straight. Um, oh shit! No, you were right. It was five. Well, yeah, but it, yeah, but then he's freaking out about it. Yeah, in episode six, he's freaking out about You're it. Good. Yeah. Um, and then Lou realizes that his expensive, uh, like pipe dream set isn't going to happen, so he makes all the kids steal stuff to use as set pieces. Like Fagin's urchins, <laughs> we're back on the Christmas Carol train. <laughs> Woo <Woo-hoo>. hoo! <laughs> I wish I had a gang of street urchins that did my bidding. I don't wa- want children anywhere near me. I've been uh, catching up on Game of Thrones and like Cersei uh, stole like a gang of street urchins and they kill people for her and it's rad. <clears throat> I don't want children. I understand. Yeah, like, I understand. Around me. We or... have kitties. They're like our little Fagin gang. Yeah, we can. We should just train the cats to steal things. That'd be great. Anywho, let's talk about what worked. Yeah, well, let's uh, first talk about, you know, if it worked. Uh, yeah, we've got, a, fair. we've got a formula here. Yeah, I forgot Andy, about a formula. Yeah. Andy, stop trying to, 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 to dodge the question. Uh, these three episodes of NBC's Rise, uh, did they work for you? They they did. Um, I, had, I had some fun with how uh, dramatic this show is. Mm-hmm. Everything is... It's very dramatic, and uh, I especially love how much they got like theater kid culture. Yep. I I know that I'm like by high school standards, I'm an old person now, and probably very disconnected from like what the youths are doing. And it's nice to see that theater kid culture still seems to be pretty much the same as it's always been. Um. Except in my day, we were singing In the Heights, and now everyone's doing Hamilton. But what else? Yeah, I, I, I forgot that I wasn't supposed to be saying good things. But yes, it worked. Uh, I do I do have some, some nitpicks. But Ronnie, we'll you can just get edit all this those. so I sound like a person. We'll get to those, Andy. First, we're going to talk... Ra- fix what? my ramblings in post. Yeah, sure. We'll talk to Evan. Yeah, that's me. Evan. You watch your mouth about NBC's rise, and when what did you think of these three episodes of that show? Uh, uh, okay, look. Um, I want you to be honest, I, but I also want you to be nice. So, so, so rectify those I, two things. Look, objectively, the show is fine. Like it's <laughs> like the writing is fine. Like it's narratively solid. Like it's working. Like as a as a show, it is working. I sure. like. I just personally don't like it i don't like it okay but that doesn't that doesn't mean it's not working i can be like i can separate my own personal likes and dislikes from the show functioning as its own thing 
So, did you enjoy these three episodes of NBC's Rise? I'm so annoyed by, and I I want to be clear I, here, but like just before we jump into anything, I want to separate because this is based on like real people and events to some extent. I want to separate the real life um, Lou Mazzucchelli that this fellow from the fictionalized one that I'm mm-hmm. seeing in this show. Very dramatized. Don't I'm, do, I'm, I, you don't really have to do that is what I'm saying. Yeah. You don't have to do that cuz this, this version I is just, very dramatized. I just want to be clear that like I f- cannot fucking stand Lou in this show. I I like the the fictionalized version of him that exists in this show annoys the crap out of me. Mhm. And I don't want to like cast dispersions on the actual guy because I'm sure he's nothing like this. I, I wouldn't this let you do it. I wouldn't let you do it. <laughs> let, let, let's but anyway, honest. like, yeah, that's I mean, if I were to boil down my problem to one big problem, that would be it. Um, but I recognize that, like, this is this is quite a subjective, like, thing that I've got going on. And I I want to be clear that, like, the show's not a bad show. Overall, I, I don't think it's bad. It like the story is pretty good and the writing's pretty good. You're and all saying that. you're saying a lot of things, but what I'm hearing is that this show did not work for you, Evan. What's cracking me up is Evan and I both had long rambling rants about whether or not the show worked instead of just answering the fucking question. <laughs> I I would say that it's working though. Like I okay. like, but you, I would but you... I would recommend this to someone. If, if like, they weren't me, you know? <laughs> that was the best compliment I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people who would genuinely like this show, and it's not, like, it's not an objectively bad show, so I can't say it's not working, because, like, it is. It, it totally functions. I just, like, I don't like it. It's fair. That's fair. You're allowed to not like things. Yeah. And we're allowed to not be friends anymore, is basically okay. what it comes down Bye, to. Bye, Ronnie. The podcast is over. <laughs> Bye. Somebody asked you so me much. how I feel about these three episodes. Hey, Ronnie. Oh, right. Yeah, hey, Ronnie. Hey, Ronnie. Yeah. How'd you feel about... They were the best episodes, episodes ever. Having six of Rise. <laughs> they were... They, I, they, they worked. Um, episode uh, four, we'll get into it, but, like, that one's cringy, and that one's, even when I watched it the first time, didn't love it. The, the whole mm-hmm. bullying thing and the... We gotta talk the, about that. Oh, I got yeah. so many yeah. thoughts on that. Yeah, no, no, there's there's lots there. And the awkwardness of like, oh, mixing these two subcultures. like it's, it's, and, and oh, football dad, is this the worst? Like, it's all bad. Um, but other than that, not just other than that episode, but like other than those moments in that episode and the rest of the episodes, it's great. I love these episodes. And I have so many thoughts that like, I am so I feel like I I I dishonored the Rise community and, and and theater in general by letting y'all just walk all over this show last time. I am ready with like punches and kicks of just to like knock all of your of your negatives right out the window. Not all your negatives. some of your negatives are legitimate and and and, and are worthy of of, of Real, real dispute and, and conversation, but but, but you're like, still gonna react defensively to them because you're emotionally invested. Defensive yeah. rise, man, is what they'll call me in the forums. Um, yeah, these episodes worked for me. We all rambled a lot there, didn't we? Yeah, we sure did. <laughs> sure did. Um, 
I, I, I say we just keep this episode kind of fluid and we don't yeah. we don't do a structure. I say we just go back and forth with positives and negatives. Sure, sure. Uh, before we talk about what worked and didn't work about this episode, as I re-listened to our last episode, I thought it might be a little bit useful for some of our non-musical theater fans or even our, you know, we have musical theater fans who don't know everything about musical theater. Um, to uh, have a full understanding of the plot of the musical Spring Awakening, which features heavily in Rise. Uh, so I did a little bit of cross-promotion here, and I got one of the hosts of our uh, a cousin podcast, a sister podcast, a brother, whatever it is, uh, of one of our family podcasts, uh, Tin Pan Diddly Doo. <gasps> I got- which host? Which host? I, I got Blue. I got oh, the, boy. the musical theater fan, Blue, um, of the great podcast, Tin Pan Diddly Do, uh, yeah. to give us a synopsis of Spring Awakening. And here it is. Thanks for the intro, Ronnie. As you may already know, my name is Lily Blue, and I am one of the co-hosts of Tin Pan Diddly Do, a stupidly named musical theater history podcast hosted by the Lunar Light Studio Network. And today I am going to be talking to you about Spring Awakening. Just an upfront preface. There's some super heavy stuff in here. So uh, if you're uncomfortable with things like abortion, rape, suicide, abuse, any kind of heavy sexual talk, you might want to just skip over the next two or three minutes because it gets pretty deep and dark. This musical is really about sex and not quite like the morality of sex, but um, it really focuses on like sex and the discovery of what it is and how it works. Basically, the show starts off and we're introduced to uh, this young woman named Vendela who is just kind of coming into puberty and she's really frustrated that her mom won't tell her about where babies come from. Um, and her mom has basically said that like, in order to have a child, you must love a man with all of your heart, your husband specifically. There's a bunch of teenage boys who are all in school and they are just frustrated by society and kind of how narrow-minded and shallow it all is um and so there's this one boy his name is moritz and his friend um melchior and moritz describes this dream he has that keeps him up at night and melchior is like oh you're having erotic dreams and so they just talk about their kind of own frustrating thoughts and desires and like life and sex and all that stuff uh, and then later on, Vendela stumbles upon Melchior while she's in the woods. And the two of them kind of have this moment where they're sitting under a tree and they are kind of deciding whether or not they should give in to the physical desires they're having, but they decide not to. Uh, meanwhile, Moritz uh, has passed his midterms, but the school cannot pass everyone. So they decide to fail him, even though he took the test and passed. Uh, so Moritz writes to Melchior's mother, uh, his only adult friend and she's like hey I want to go to America can I have money and she's like no but I promise I'll write to your parents and tell them not to be too hard on you um, so now we cut smash cut to a hayloft during a storm uh, where Melchior and Vendela find each other again and they apologize for what happened the last time they met and before you, you know it they start to kiss and then they start to have sex and that's the end of act one and then act two starts with them where we, right where we left off with them kind of finishing up their whatever they're doing. Um, and they talk about what just happened. Uh, and now we smash cut again back to Moritz, who has been thrown out of his house because he failed school. And he's wandering the town carrying a gun. 
Um, and he happens upon the free-spirited Ilsa, who uh, she has found refuge in an artist colony, and she tries to get him to join her and uh, says that, like, we can share some memories and maybe something more. And he's like, no, thanks. And then she leaves and he calls after her, but he realizes it's too late. And so he regrets this missed opportunity and he thinks he just has no other direction in life. So he shoots himself and dies. And now we flip to the school and the schoolmaster uh, tells Melchior that uh, Moritz's parents found an essay about sex that he had written for him. And so they blame Melchior for Moritz killing himself. And even though he knows he's not to blame, there's literally nothing he can do because he's a kid. And so he's expelled from school. So now we see that Vendela has become ill. So her mother takes her to visit a doctor and the doctor's like, oh, I'll just take this medicine. You'll be fine. It's just anemia. But then Vendela's, uh, Vendela's mother gets pulled aside by the doctor and he's like, hey, your daughter's pregnant. Um, so her mother confronts her and Vendela is completely shocked. She's like, I have no idea how this could have happened, blah, blah, blah. And then it occurs to her that her mother lied about how babies are made, which like, duh, Sherlock, it doesn't just happen through the love and goodness of your heart. Like we're not all Virgin Mary here. And so she berates her mother for leaving her ignorant and is just like, I can't believe you would do this to me. And her mother's like, yeah, whatever. Tell me who the dad is. She's really sad about what's going on, but she's like you know, maybe there could be some kind of like good future with me and my child. And so she's optimistic. So while Melchior is at school, he gets in a fight with some boys who steal the letter from him that he just got from Vendela. And so he reads the letter and he finally learns about his child. So he escapes the school to go find her. But what he doesn't know is that Vendela's mom took her to an underground doctor to get an abortion. And so then Melchior reaches the town and he sends a message to Vendela's friends to be like, hey, meet me at the cemetery. And while he's there, he stumbles across Moritz's grave and he swears that he and Vendela will raise their child in a compassionate, open and loving environment. And then he sees her freshly dug grave and there she is discovering that she has died from the abortion that she got. Um, Vendela passed away from her abortion. And so he is just so overwhelmed with shock and grief that he takes out a razor and is like, I'm going to kill myself. But then Moritz and Vendela's spirits come up from their graves and they give him strength and they persuade him to journey on and live on without them and carry on their memories forever. Um, and then the show ends by uh, Ilsa assembling everyone on stage to sing one last song about life and hope. Uh, anyway, thank you for having me. I've been Lily Blue. And uh, check out Tin Pan Diddly Doo and all of my other podcasts on the network, including Badvertising and Good Boys Girls and Ink Tank and so on and so forth. Uh, you can find me if you're interested on Twitter at Blue Space Queen and listen to Tin Pan Diddly Doo every other Friday on Lunar Light Studios. Okay, bye! Thank you so much to our good friend, Lily Blue, for that excellent explanation. Thanks, Blue! I want to make sure that everyone knows that the original file that Lily sent over was far more in-depth than what you just heard, but I had to cut it down for time. So if you are upset about your favorite part of Spring Awakening being left out, uh, that was on me. So don't get mad at Lily Blue for that one. Lily Blue is tremendously knowledgeable about musical theater in all of its forms, so if you want to hear uh, the good, good in-depth content, why don't you head over to Tidpan Diddly Doo. Like she said, uh, those episodes are out every other Saturday. Go check it out. So, let's talk about the, uh, the elephant in the room. What's so the what, elephant in so the room, Andy? The elephant in the room is the trans stuff in episode four. Sure, let's let's just tackle I wanna... it do you want to go and then I'll go? If you want to go first, you can go first. Okay. So, 
there's this scene in episode four where a, a douchey football man uh, makes some comments to Michael about his genitals, as people always do with trans people. And the problem with this is that as a whole in media, we really need to figure out a way to uh, include trans characters without bringing up their genitals constantly. Like, okay, yeah, I understand that trans people get bullied a lot, um, but showing that bullying in TV shows doesn't, like, doesn't help trans people. It doesn't, like, it doesn't tell them anything they don't already know. It doesn't tell society anything they aren't already thinking. Uh, like, stop bringing up the genitals thing, please. Like, I understand it was portrayed as bad. Like, this football man was portrayed as a douche. But, like, come on, guys. We need we need trans people in narratives other than, like, poor trans kid gets bullied a lot. Poor trans kid is going through stuff. Like, stop it. Stop that. Let trans people have real narratives, like, explore their characters. Don't make their only plot point be, like, them being trans and them getting bullied for being trans. Alright, that's my bit. So, the one thing I liked about the scene is that the bullies questioning of Michael started off as them pretending it was an innocent line of questioning of like oh like tell me about your experience as being trans and while that's still inappropriate because it was like clear that like michael didn't know them super well it is something that like homophobes and transphobes will do a lot to queer people is they'll pose as like oh i'm innocent and like i want to get educated like tell me about your experience and then they twisted the knife and turned it into something sinister and gross and I think that's a a realistic way that like we face discrimination is that dickheads use that like playbook and it was nice to see that playbook on display and framed as being awful. Now I totally agree with Evan that the show didn't need to have that sort of bullying and like focus on the genitals like that's that's really uncomfortable and didn't need to be in this show but i do think uh how it was <clears throat> how the bullying was shown um was like realistic um i agree with you that this this was a real thing that happens um but it feels like that's the only only presence that trans people have in shows. Oh, I is, I, I totally yeah. agree, babe. And and th- what I was saying was not at all to contradict your point. I I 100% agree with you. Um, my my only compliment on the scene is that them posing as innocent and then being sinister is something that queer people face a lot. And uh, I've never seen like queer discrimination on a TV show done in in that in that sort of way, at least not that I can think of. And so it, it, it really like, I was like, Oh shit. Like that literally happens to me all the time. Like, wow. Um, 
my my biggest complaint about it is that Michael was only a prop for Russ in that scene, and that's fucked up. Russ is a football man, right? No, Robbie. Robbie? Oh, yep. shit. Well, I was close. Uh, Michael was only a prop for Robbie in that... The Robbie fo- to have a hero moment. The focus of the scene was, look at how Robbie is heroic. Look at how Robbie's a good guy. And even the follow-up, there was no follow-up with Michael. The follow-up was with Robbie. And then Robbie said to um, Singing Girl, um, like, do you know what that cost me? That cost me everything. And it was like, okay, straight sis, dude, you can go fuck off. Like, this isn't about you, you asshole. Like, you did the right thing here, but it's not about what it costs you. Why don't you go check on Michael and see if he's okay? So that had me really mad that Michael was literally only... And, like, the discrimination against Michael was only used as a prop to facilitate someone else's story. And it wasn't ever about Michael, according to the story. It was only ever about Robbie. And that's shitty. Yep. Yeah. I want to read a quote from uh, from Elliot Asaltis, who plays the character Michael in the show, um, from a Teen Vogue piece titled... Uh, rise actor Elliot Asaltis on why their character standing up to bullies is so important. And this is a quote. When I first saw the script, I was reading that these two characters were saying hurtful things to Michael. I realized that I had liberty as an actor to take that and not show another trans person get beaten down and instead show a trans person sticking up for themselves, saying, this is really not a positive space I want to be in, so I'm going to leave. I wanted to make sure Michael was unapologetic and strong and he didn't take any garbage people said about him. So I, I I just wanted to in, in, you know include that 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 is something that it seems like the script could have gone either way on that with Michael kind of like you know and like Michael Michael did push back against the assholes yeah. and it wasn't right. just like Michael was like you know needing rescue like Michael did stand up for himself right but right. It, the show was still framed in such a way that it was Robbie's moment and right. like none of yep. the other theater kids even stood up for Michael. And that really got to me too, that like they're supposed to be a troop. And the only one who voices anything is Robbie. Mm -hmm. And there's even this moment where it shows like all the theater kids on one side and all the football kids on the other side. And still like all the football kids are like, you're standing against us, Robbie. Like we've seen you, you've chosen your side. And like, that would have been the point where everyone stands up and goes like, fuck you. Like we're with Michael. And no one does it. Yeah. I can't, I can't like, be putting all of this, like, cultural baggage onto this show specifically. But uh, I wish, like, just for once, we could have just, like, a trans character normalized as a normal person in society whose, like, entire role in the show is not about being trans and their entire character arc. Because uh, as Andy brought up, Last time, we really don't know anything about Michael besides, like, he's in the play and he's trans. Like, what sort of shit's he into? Like, what's, like, all all of these other, there's a huge cast of other characters. And we know so much backstory about them. We know about their home lives. We know about who they're dating. We know, like, all sorts of stuff that, like, I don't even care about, frankly. And again, like, maybe it's unfair for me to be like blowing up at this show specifically because it's just like sort of a symptom of this thing 
in media. And, like, don't get me wrong, I'm glad there are more trans people in stuff. Like, that's certainly a step forward, but, like, it's always just, always somebody's bringing up the genitals. Yeah. Always, all the time. Always, yeah. always, always. It's gotta yeah, it, be about the genitals. It gets different for Michael's character later on. Uh, like, I want to, like, you know, it, it is it is far more of just, like, a figuring things out storyline for Michael as he progresses through the storyline. Um, and I don't want to, like, spoil too much, but it's not too much of a spoiler to say, like, the fact that it's all about Michael's impact on other people's lives, um, that doesn't really change, unfortunately. So mm. we'll we'll have we'll have more to talk about that later. Um, but it, it's it's it gets a little better, but not as good as it could be, unfortunately. Let's just make our own show. Yeah, fuck all these shows. Let's make our own show. I want to enter uh, one other thing before we and stop talking about this part of the show. Um, there's an article also on Teen Vogue uh, called Rise Actor Angus O'Brien on Playing a Transphobic Bully as a Queer Performer. Um, so one of the bullies in that scene, Angus O'Brien, plays Derek. He's the, uh, the curly-headed guy in that scene, um, is queer. And the article talks a lot about kind of the dynamic that he and Ellie um, had during that scene and the more I read about it and the more I read about you know the, the kind of hoops that they had to jump through to make it work is just like I just don't see why this scene was so necessary there's a real really powerful bit where Ellie says to Angus something along the lines of if I cry, it's because you're dead naming him. It's just really hard. And it's like, if this was this much of a problem for both of these young actors, who this is one of their first big parts, like, can can we get someone in there to like just say, hey, is there a different way we can do this? Is there is there a better way we can make this scene happen that 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 is clearly not as as harmful to both of these actors and and then potentially. A, a slew of audience members as well like yeah they they go to the trouble of getting a trans actor and then put them in a scene that potentially makes them cry like yeah come on come on people who made this show come on yeah i'll include uh links to all these articles in the show notes um but it yeah just just lots to lots to think about in this one super and, and uh, earlier i said it was cringy my cringiness comes more from like the awkwardness of theater kids being at a party, football players. This is just this is beyond cringe. I don't want to like minimize this at all. This is downright like, you know, just bad. Also, um, slightly off topic, but I was reading about this a lot today. Uh, Republicans and uh, conservatives and even like Russian bots are posing as uh, queer people. And referring to the movement as just LGB and saying yeah. that anyone who is like trans or gender nonconforming or gender queer isn't part of the movement. And um, that's just not true. And they see trans people as more vulnerable and easier to single out and are trying to divide the whole movement yep. by singling out who they perceive to be the easiest target. Right. And that's really fucked up. And if you are a queer person and you don't feel like 
trans or gender non-conforming genderqueer people are part of the movement, um, fuck you. And if you're conservative or Republican and you're going out of your way to attract to attack trans people, uh, you can fuck right off too. Um, I'm sure you're already not listening to us because we're pretty openly fucking gay. But uh, yeah, I... I feel like that's really important to me and um, it, it I, I'm glad that like this, this queer actor who like talked about that article in teen Vogue uh, that it was a difficult part for him. And I, I'm glad that he can maybe be there for um, Elliot, Ellie, Ellie. And, um, I know that I would probably feel more comfortable having another queer actor do that sort of a scene with me like that. I'm sure it was brutal. And I agree with you, Ronnie. It, if it was affecting them that much, they, they probably didn't need to have it in there. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to dwell on this for so long. No, it's important. We've just got a lot of opinions about mm-hmm. what's going on here. Yeah. Notice I'm not. I'm not getting defensive about this. I'm, I'm, you know, those those eggs will come, but I'm going to keep those eggs in the basket for now on this one because, I, as I said, this one is just plain bad, Rise. You did a bad here. All right. Well, let's move on to some more eggs. Let's discuss yeah. more eggs. Can you guys say something that you liked? Because I feel like if we go through all that and then I'm like, well, this show was good, though. Like, it's, it's, it, it rings a little hollow, so... I liked watching uh, Singing Girl's mom beat the shit out of her misogynist boss. Yeah. Not only misogynist, sexual assaulting boss. Yeah. Boss. Yeah. Sexually predatory boss. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was really great to watch her beat the shit out of him. Yep. She really beat the shit out of him. Yeah. Too. She didn't just like punch him or something. She like threw him to the ground and like kicked the shit out of him and broke shit on him and stuff. Yeah. It was very empowering. Yeah. It was like... Yeah, it was dope. Mm-hmm. That was some good shit. Yep. Yep. Um, I. It also, think- I, I want to, I want to, like, don't want to get too far from that. But there's a whole bit after that where she decides instead of looking for a new job that she's going to sue, uh, this employer, which like, is a valid thing. You know, when her daughter finds out, when her daughter who is working extra shifts to make sure that they can stay afloat, she's kind of like no, you can't do that. He's still my employer. Like we need this, which is also unfortunately very valid for people in low income situations who, who need these kind of things. And I feel like that could have been a great opportunity to say like, you know, we're, we're hearing a lot about this me too movement. And there has been an emphasis on people in, you know, working class situations, not just celebrities and not just actresses, but it would be a good point there to say like, we like you're stuck. Like, in this kind of a situation, as much as you want to fight against this person who is clearly doing horrible and disgusting things, you're stuck because you need to survive and you need to keep a roof over your head. I appreciate that the show, like, brought that up, though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that was a good point. I I thought that was really, really valid. I think it could have gone a little bit further in, like, explaining exactly, like, the circumstances and like what that actually means for for these people it's not just like oh you can't sue them and then being like her being like oh yeah the wrong choice would be to sue them and it's like no it's not the wrong choice it's just yeah, like the, you have to be prudent the writing was a little clumsy there because yeah. it was portrayed as like the mom saying well i'm not gonna hunt for a job i'm just gonna sue this guy as though right. she was seeing that as like 
um, a solution out. to her money problems or whatever. Right. Which like you can do both. Like she right. could she could like job hunt and also pursue <laughs> legal action against this guy. Right. There's nothing stopping her from doing both. Right. And um, like yes, Lilette's point absolutely was valid. Like she Lilette is in high school and presumably doesn't have a lot of work experience so this may very well be her only option for earning money at the moment but um she was very dismissive of her mom's uh like choice to sue the guy who sexually assaulted her and like i yeah the writing was just not ideal there like it was a a good topic that should have been explored a little bit more as far as like that family being caught between the the rock and the hard place of like doing what's right and what would get them like some recompense for this suffering and like scraping by in the short term but yeah the, i found the writing to be a little bit clumsy in yeah. in a few scenes to be honest yeah. but that was a, a good example of it and also the show can't cover every topic no. can't like go deep no, on everything no. but you know it's one of those things where it's you know, I, I think if the show was made maybe a year later, they might have went a little deeper with that. But, you know, is what it is. Honestly, one of my like one of my only other I had three major critiques for these three episodes. And since we seem to be talking about them, I'll just I'll just touch on each of them. Sure. First of them was the thing with Michael. Second of them was I think they're just trying to do too much. I think they're following too many characters. And I think the the writing and the plot suffers a little bit because of it um kim and i were both remarking that like so many conversations are so extremely on the nose and it's because they don't have time to be subtle because they're running through like scene after scene after scene and dialogue after dialogue after dialogue so they have to write lines like the thing with the uh the i suppose he's Sikh or something like that the the kid with the turban who mm-hmm. plays guitar, he was like, yeah, well, I just keep a low profile because I wear a turban and so I get picked on. Like, and that was like a lightning fast scene and they didn't have an opportunity to like sort of get into that in a more nuanced way. They're yeah. like rapid fire going through all these topics so that they can move on to the next character so that they can I do, I do think thing. that's just network TV. Like when you watch a lot of like Stars, Prime, and... Like HBO, like the writing, you know, I hate to say it, is just better. And that yeah. when you're when you're doing network TV, you're trying to appeal to as large an audience as possible. So you do have to dumb a ton of things down because you know a larger portion of your audience just might not be familiar with it. And so a show like Rise, I feel like, is trying to get a lot of messages out there to everyone and is just giving the sparknote version of it now whether or not that's right or wrong like i i see your point and that they could spend more time on each one but i think when you do network tv that's just part of the writing but i mean i i also kind of appreciate in that scene where like like what is the alternative there where they kind of say like oh you know i try and keep a low profile and then there's just like some like awkward like long silences and some eye contact and the close-up uh, on the turn like I, I i what i'm saying is i appreciate just like yeah like a, like a kid in this day and age just saying like yeah i get picked on a lot because i wear a turban and i kind of just don't want to deal with that right now sure but 
that that character was only in one scene. Like they tried to sort of hit a a fairly poignant issue, and what they could have done instead was develop that character a little bit more. Instead of developing twenty characters at once, uh, I think the the narrative would be better served by focusing on a handful of them and uh, the issues that they want to to bring up in the show can be rolled into their narrative in a sort of more holistic way that's rather fair. than bouncing from one to the next. Yeah, that's um, and then my, my critique number three, the only other thing that I really had a problem with was like, I really do think that Lou is uh, invasive and manipulative and very self-serving. I think mm-hmm. they could have remedied this almost 100% by having more scenes with uh, the troop on the whole making some kind of remark about how passionate they are about the play Mm -hmm. um but with the way it's framed it just looks like he's like i said last time interfering in everyone's lives um pushing these kids way too hard i i understand that like he's got a goal and he's got a dream but he's doing it really it seems like at the expense of these kids mental health and at the expense of his own family's like I feel happiness. Like, I feel like we've only seen two kids talk about how passionate they are about the show, and the rest of them have been like complaining about how long rehearsals are and how late they've been there. Yeah. So I kind of see what most, you're saying. Most Evan. of the dialogue from the kids has been like disparaging. Like yeah. they're they're not happy about it. We had Lilette say, like, oh yeah, I feel like I'm a part of something or and whatever. Love Simon. Yeah. 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 So we've had two people remark briefly, not even at length, about yeah. how, how much they love being in the play. But like everyone else just seems really unhappy. And Lou seems really manic and a little bit obsessive about making this happen exactly the way he wants it at the expense of all else. So. Yeah. It's, it's one of the things I wanted to kind of like talk back about that we talked about last week with like the whole. You know, Lou is very manipulative and, and very like, you know, trying to like force these kids into doing something they don't want to do. Like the way I respond to it is that that theater in itself is about for a lot of kids pushing you outside of your comfort zone. You know, there there are there are kids who are there are kids who are athletes like from when they're very little kids and that just feels comfortable for theater, it's rare that you have like a real heavy contact with it until you get to high school. And theater is about taking that step when you are ready and when you are prepared and with the encouragement of your director or co-director or uh, troop behind you to get you to that point. So like there is a level of of pushing a little bit, a gentle push to take that first step to to move out of your comfort zone in that degree. But, but there is a very heavy narrative of this is the cast and nothing, this cast must be the one that goes on on opening night. That is the most ridiculous theater concept ever. You have to replace actors left and right when they don't feel it or when they're sick or when I, I was in Beauty and the Beast my freshman year with this director who this show is based on and three characters two weeks before the show were removed from their roles. Like that is, 
if any of this stuff happened in real life and was just like, oh, you just can't do it, like, you give some some leeway, you give some grace, but at the end of the day, like, if it's getting close to the show and they can't do it, there's a reason you have understudies, there's a reason people are, like, obsessed with this kind of thing. You can fill that role with somebody who can do it. And, like, that's the thing where, like, you just pushing, 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 forcing these kids into these roles where they might not fit is, like, that's not theater that's not how it works you, you try it you cast and if it doesn't work out all right well, well the show must go on we'll figure it out yeah um the first year i was in theater um i was understudying for one character and we we lost two people due to academic probation like mm-hmm. their grades dipped and they couldn't be in the play so five days before opening night we had to replace somebody and I was the only, I was the only person available. So I had to like play the primary antagonist and learn all my lines in five days prior to the, like, it's fine. It's high school theater. Like that's Mm -hmm. just how it do. Right. Right. So like, I do feel like, uh, and this is like, I'm going to go into some positives now. Yay. Um, (laughs) Sorry. We've been such a downer, Ronnie. Well, that was you. I've barely been a downer. Um, me uh i love you <laughs> you're my favorite i love you too um fuck what was i saying so i loved the bit with the uh conductor i thought that was a really good bit where lou oversteps his bounds and kind of embarrasses the conductor and the conductor calls him on it and mm-hmm. makes lou feel like an asshole and makes lou beg to have him back and I thought that was a really good development for Lou. And mm-hmm. it made me love that director. I Like, I don't want to use the phrase, like, trolling, because people who, like, identify as trolls are assholes. But, like, the conductor totally, like, zagged on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was very satisfying. Yeah. the so, so, other fun fact, the person who that vocal director, that band director, is based on is the person who currently administers my voice lessons, my, my vocal lessons that I'm taking. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, and the dude's great. Fantastic dude. And, like, Lou would, like, the the real Lou would have never. <laughs> like, yeah. would, would have never done that. Like, this guy is not petty or anything like that, but you just wouldn't, you wouldn't go there with that. The most, the most Lou would do would be cast somebody who maybe doesn't have the voice to uh, carry a part, and this guy would be very upset about that, but would still just, like, charge through and, like, be very professional and make it work. Lou would never, like, jump in and say, you've got to do a better job of this. Like, it wouldn't happen. So there's and, a little there's a little fun fact from the real world of And that's, that's why I wanted to, like, preface, like, at the beginning, like, I'm not talking about the real dude. Sure. I'm talking about sure. this Ted fake Mosby. guy. I'm talking about Ted Mosby <laughs> in this TV show. <laughs> it does feel like grown-up Ted Mosby, too, which is fucking wild. Mm-hmm. Anywho, my other uh, positive in that, like, same vein is uh, with McGonagall. Yep. And was his name Andy? Yes. Yes. Yeah, my name. Andy Cranepool. I thought I was going to hate Andy. Like, when we first met him, I was like, oh, it's the creepy, like, um, man in waiting, like, dost thou, lady, be my love kind of character. Milady. 
and he's tips fedora. <laughs> he, he's not like that at all. Even though I thought he was going to be, he's a little over earnest, but yeah. he's he's not he's not predatory. He's not awful. He's 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 actually like a pretty good character yeah. so far. I kind of like him quite a bit. He's a little bit awkward, but in kind of endearing way. Yeah, and um, I think McGonagall totally overreacted, and uh, I thought Lou was like doing a solid there. Yeah, that was a case, I agree with you, where that was a perfectly reasonable thing for him to do. But I kind of understand her blow up because she did bring up in that conversation, like when she called him, like, and when she was talking to Andy, she was like bringing up all of his past transgressions. So I think that was less about that specific thing. And more of like that was the straw that broke the can- camel's back. Totally fair. Of, she did yeah. bring up him costing her her job, yeah. which like totally valid. Yeah. But um, I and don't. The, sh- the show also does this weird thing where it like puts both of these events, like where Tracy's on a date that doesn't seem to be going well, and Lou is searching for his son who is an alcoholic and, 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 and snuck out of the house. Like it puts these things at the same time where it makes you want to say, how could Tracy be bringing this up at a time like this? But like yeah. it, she in doesn't her know. life with the context that she has, this is a big deal. And it, and, yeah. and, sh- and it, you, we shouldn't have to like weigh like, Oh, but Lou's dealing with so much more like at that moment. Like it's, yeah, it's, she it's literally has her. She literally has no idea that's going on. She yeah. just calls him. She just calls him, and and uh, she's mad. And he's like literally frantically searching for his son around town because they like he's gone missing. And yeah, bad, bad cutting. I guess. yeah, just not not the best. Place I don't know to if it was bad scenes. cutting. Uh, I I I think you were just supposed to feel like stressed for Lou in that like. His friend is mad at him and doesn't know what he's going through. And at the same time, he's dealing with something really emotional. Um, it's not like Jar Jar being cut with Duel of the Fates, which is bad cutting. Because it's a really stressful lightsaber duel and Jar Jar is like stepping in poop again. Um, like, like it wasn't you can't like let that me just me. talk about musical theater for five minutes without having to bring up Star Wars, do you? Do I love you? musical theater. I'm kidding. I ain't, I ain't ragging on you for musical theater there, Ronnie. I love musical theater. Uh, I also love Star Wars. <laughs> you but, do. But um, I also don't hate Jar Jar. Anyway, yeah, at me. At me on Twitter, you motherfuckers. But, That's right. We don't hate Jar Jar Binks in this household. Anyway, <laughs> um, anyway uh, I, I liked... Lou setting up McGonagall. I I didn't feel like it was over the line or out of bounds. I can understand why McGonagall was pissed about it because Lou has meddled in her life many a time before that. But I don't think Lou telling Andy like, "Hey, like like oh, if you like her, like you should ask her out. Like you should go for it. Like you know, yeah, that's a perfect, that's a perfectly normal thing to do. Yeah, that like that's it's totally fine to encourage a coworker to like." ask out a crush like that's yeah. that's not manipulative that's that's totally fine uh if he and i just want to state this that like if the dude was a fucking creep or like if lou knew 
McGonagall hated him, or if, like, there's plenty of times where it's not okay to encourage a man to ask out a woman. Um, asking her at work or some shit like that, yeah, like, not okay. But, like, just, like, telling a friend, like, oh, ask out your crush, not a problem. One other thing that I wanted to just bring up for anyone who is currently in a TV show or a movie, um, and, and you've been, like, working long hours and you haven't really had a long time to spend with your spouse or your significant other, don't ever plan a date night on the one night that you kind of have free. Don't ever do it because it's never going to work out. You're always going to stay late at your rehearsal or your job or what. It's, it's always going to happen. Mm-hmm. It is It is like, uh, oh, I can't think of it. What's the gun Murphy's guy? Law. Oh. No. Who's Chekhov's the, gun? Chekhov. Yeah, it's like Chekhov's yeah. date night. Like, no matter <laughs> what, you're going to miss the date night. Like, don't just don't make it. Just say like, oh, we'll, we'll see if maybe something can happen. And be spontaneous. I just... As soon as as soon as Lou said that, I was like, "Oh, you 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 poor summer child, you're, you're <laughs> you never... sweet summer child! Don't you know that we're only setting up a date night in this uh, TV drama narrative so that you can miss the date night, thus right. illustrating how the you, play is interfering with your life? You've been so successful with keeping all of your promises to your wife thus far. What could go wrong? <laughs> uh, uh, poor Mrs. Mezabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizabizab
yeah, just lie to your coach. Like, call his bluff. Like, I'm sure it'll work out just fine. Like, mm-hmm. it's just that's that's dangerous. That's that's murky water that you're treading in there. Yeah, like I just keep like every time a student comes up against some kind of like life problem or scheduling thing or something. Um, like I just have like flashbacks of being back in high school and how stressful that was. Yeah. Just the few, the few extracurricular activities that I was involved in in high school took up so much of my time. I could not imagine like being in high school and being on the football team and being in a drama production like that, like the poor kid, the poor kid has like not nary a moment to sleep, you know, (laughs) and like, I understand that like, this is drama for the show, you know, he's got to choose between these two worlds that he's caught between, but like, eh, yeah, I just can't, I can't get behind it. I can't get behind like forcing a kid to, to go through all of that just so that, you know, this guy can put on the production of his dreams right. exactly it, the way he wants. Yeah. If it's Robbie's choice, it, like it, it, and up to this point, it truly seemed like, you know, Robbie couldn't see a future in this, this school year without doing both the play and playing football. And mm-hmm. if that's Robbie's choice to do that, that's fine. But yeah. at this point, it's very much like, okay, you're pulling a lot of strings right now. Mm-hmm. You're, you're doing a lot of puppet master stuff and, and, and knowing that this kid is easily pulled in any direction. That just makes me sour on the whole, like, Robbie doing theater thing. Yeah. To drop in another positive, though. Uh, Do it! I, I will give them uh, credit for, uh, and I praise them for this in the first three episodes, in spite of having a huge cast and many, many plot threads and a ton of stuff to keep track of, they are, like, keeping everything together. Like, mm-hmm. I... I'm still consistently following everything that's going on. All of the threads of the plot are weaving together as is appropriate. The cutting is very efficient. Like, the whole story's getting told in spite of this massive cast of characters. Uh, Like, lots of characters are developing simultaneously. And it's, like, all very dramatic, and everything's very intertwined, but, like, it's all... The, the writing is very solid. Like, from a technical standpoint, the writing is very solid, and the the editing is very solid. It it does feel like high school theater. Like, yeah. these feel like kids that were in my theater program way back when. And I, I genuinely like a lot of the characters. There's some that, you know, I don't quite care for, but... Uh, I really like a lot of them and it's I, I I'm genuinely excited to see where the show goes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I the the whole the scene where they break into the steel mill is just so anthetically high school and so like perfectly like the high school experience of like let's go somewhere we're not supposed to go at a time we're not supposed to be out. And do something we're definitely not supposed to do. Like I also like that when it when Plan A didn't work out, she was like, "I don't know, let's just fuck around in this abandoned building." And everyone was like, "Okay, <laughs> like, <laughs> yup, <laughs> yep, yeah, that's how it do." Basically, yeah, we didn't drink in we high did. school, but you better believe that we broke into buildings we were not supposed to be in and just fucked around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just like. 
being prepared for that. Like, not even just like, oh, we're coming to steal the sign. But we know we're not stealing a sign. We know we're just going into an abandoned Let's building. Let's just break some liquor. shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, on that topic, I loved the solution of like, we can't get this set built that we want. So we're going to like salvage stuff and like getting the kids involved. Like narratively, mm-hmm. I like that. However, they definitely stole shit. Oh, yeah. Like that stained glass window is thousands of dollars. Yeah. And Simon was like, I found this in my church basement. The fuck you did, Simon. Yeah. As as if. As someone who used to be a pastor, the deacons know that's missing and they are (laughs) looking for it. Um, fucking Michael stole a railroad crossing light, (laughs) a working railroad crossing sign and light. You think that was just sitting around? No, it had the wiring still in it. They turned it on. It worked. Like, prayer warriors are desperately praying for that stained glass window to get brought back <laughs> and as some sort of like Christmas miracle. And four people have been hit by a train without that sign. I, w- I, I loved it, but... I will say, and here's some very, very firsthand experience... Um, I don't know if this scene is directly in reference to this. Um, in so so, if you're as we've said before on episodes, if you're a cop, you have to tell us and you have to stop listening right now. Yeah, Anywho, turn off your turn off the podcast, cops. You got to push mute right now. In our home, in our hometown, um, there was this pawn shop, and. On, on their big sign, they had a big vinyl sign that they strung around it all of a sudden one day that said, Lou is back in big block letters. And it was a huge sign. And during a theater trip one time, we said to our director, Lou, like, look, 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 you're back, you're back. And he <laughs> loved, and he, he found it hilarious. So one night, <laughs> me, me and my friends... Um, Drove over to the pawn shop, hopped up on the hood of my friend's car, and we yanked at the sign off of this pawn shop. Only, like, the only thing that, like, made us even remotely spooked was the bouncer at the bar across the street yelling, Hey, what are you doing? And we just, like, we just jumped in the car and ran away, very scared. You let Um, out a high-pitched shriek. We let out a high-pitched shriek, got in the car, got away. Uh, and we presented Lou with that sign. And you want to look up it, the Statue of Limitations on, like, petty theft? Nah. I don't think... <laughs> I am the, sure it's passed. I think it's, like, three or four years. I don't think Pawn Shop Lou listens to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we presented this sign to, to, to our director our senior year, and that is in the book. That is in Drama High. Uh, so You made the book? We made the book. That's Fuck the only yeah. point where I made the book. Not by name, but just that like we had presented this sign to, to Lou. Um, so <laughs> I don't even know what, what I was trying to get at with that story other than like... Don't tell Pawn Shop Lou. Don't tell Pawn Shop Lou. Um, I don't know if he's still back. He might have gone. He might have <laughs> been gone again. You made the show. Case. You inspired that stained glass window. Sure. Yeah. And that, that. so that, that's where it was going. Yeah. It was very much like... You know, it was like, go out, go out into your community, find these things where it's just like in real life. It was just us being like, what can we're going to steal stuff anyway, because yeah. we're like, we're in high know, school. That's we're basically in high school. our hobby. How, 
well, how can we do this to benefit the theater program? So really, it was like community service. Um, anywho. You heard it um, here first, kids. Go rob a pawn shop. Go rob. Don't do not rob a pawn shop. They definitely have a gun under the counter. <laughs> rob the outside of a pawn shop when that pawn shop is closed. Yeah. And make sure the bouncer at McStew's across the street doesn't hear you. I am really. Slip, slip the bouncer at McStew's a crisp $15 bill. I am really triangulating the location. A crisp $15 bill. A $15 bill. A crisp $15 bill. A $15 bill. A crispy boy. A crisp $15 bill. And then you go burgle the fuck out of that pawn shop. Like good old chicane would. I'm, uh, I am finished uh, incriminating myself if it, if it pleases the court. What else was good? There was a lot uh, of good shit here. I liked a lot of these episodes. What happened? Tell me about it, because like we, this is a lot. This is gonna be a long episode. It is, and I'm telling you that now at at, at a while into it, audience. But I'm glad you've stuck with us this. Time. I I appreciated Simon's struggles in the closet. While, uh, I, I'm kind of you know done with queer narratives all being about being in the closet. Because that's not all there is to queer stories in real life. Um, a- a- as far as uh, uh, a sad gay in the closet goes, Simon's Simon's story is told pretty well. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, the actor does a phenomenal job. Yeah, actor yeah. playing Simon is very very good. Now, now you tell me, as, me as as someone who is you know pretty obtuse about these kind of things, does does. Jeremy, Jeremy is the character who ends up kissing Simon um, mm-hmm. and saying, like, do you not really feel what we had? Like, does it feel, did that feel to you like it came a little bit out of nowhere? No, or... I, felt, I felt a lot of sexual tension. Okay. Yeah, there's been a lot okay. of sexual tension between those okay. two, built up for a while. There, there definitely was, but for me, it's just like, if at the start Simon was a little friendlier and just like, hey, yeah, let's let's like run lines and stuff like that, and then realize what was happening, that would be, yeah, it would make more sense to me. But like from Jump Street, Simon has been like, oh, I'm not gay, oh, I'm not gay. Don't don't ask me to run lines with you. Like it, I, I felt I felt like there was like a scene cut or something where there was a little bit more friendliness from Simon paid towards Jeremy. I think that scene that you wish had happened was the scene where they were practicing setting up for the kiss. Sure. No. And fair. like their their homoerotic gay energy was supposed to be like oozing out sure. everywhere. Sure. No, that's fair. Just just obtuse obtuse guy over here not not picking up on those kind of things I, i'm picking up on it but just not feeling quite the uh the eroticism that i think was, was well, meant I, to be like eroticism is an exaggeration but like sure, they sure. definitely like have been side-eyeing each other and there have been audible heart palpitations like yeah, right. sweating like <laughs> um poor Poor Barb. I feel a little bad for Barb. Yeah. I don't think that's her name in this show, but she was Barbara in Stranger Things. Her name is Annabelle. But that's... She that's, gets fucking bad names no matter where she goes. That's Shannon Purser. She's she's my favorite no matter... She's my favorite no matter where she goes. She's delightful. Riverdale, um, Rise, Stranger Things, 
uh, perpetually Sarah in high school. Yeah, per- oh, always perpetually in high school. Um, she's great, super great. Um, but yeah, that that it, it's not something I feel like I really comment on. But it's like that that whole thing feels like it's it's a combination of not great and just so like grounded. I mean to to speak to that like. I had a shit ton of girlfriends. I dated a lot. Uh, and that's not to like to to say that I was some sort of like slick ladies man or something like that. But like there wasn't much to do at Liberty besides date. <laughs> and like petty vandalism. So I did a lot of vandalism and I did a lot of dating. Um and uh I'm I'm sure like by the time I did come out like it was long since I'd been in a relationship with a girl but I'm sure a few of my exes like found out that I came out and were probably like real uncomfortable about it and it probably like hurt them which was never my intention to like lead anyone on or make them like second guess like what our relationships were like but like we live in a society that doesn't really accept queer people, and so a lot of queer people uh, end up in, like, heteronormative relationships that aren't super healthy or great. Yep. And we got serious again. Oops. Oops. Um, the music's really good. <laughs> <laughs> the music is great. That Mama Who Bore Me song is fucking emotional. Yes. That, yes. the one... The actress who plays Lilette, like, Lilette keeps remarking, like, oh, so-and-so's voice is better than mine. Anyway, she's made some other comment about, like, her voice not being as good. Um, like, that is false. Like, she's she's a very good singer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, like, I don't know if that's meant to be just, like, teenage insecurity, or if we're, like, we as the audience are meant to take her seriously when she says, like, oh, my voice is not as good as so-and-so. Um, but, like, that's not a believable opinion when you then hear her sing extraordinarily well. Right. Well, it's, it's just, like, it's in TVs and movie in general, like, yeah, when they're supposed to be, like, someone who's, like, less attractive or less traditionally attractive, that person is still gorgeous like yeah they they could they can't put someone who is not gorgeous on tv or in a movie and it's just like the person who's like oh their voice is better than mine that person still has to have a shimmering golden voice like also real talk and when i when i when i use the word bitch here i mean literally everyone in theater every theater bitch goes oh my voice isn't that good so it's just yeah oh oh it's oh you are you could not be I, 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 again, can't stress this enough. I'm not gendering the word bitch there. No, no. Every bitch in theater, though, is, oh, like, so-and-so has a better voice than me. Because you're either, A, fishing for someone to say, no, your voice is really good. Or, B, no, there's no B. You're just fishing for someone to... (laughs) (laughs) You're just fishing for someone to tell you that your voice is is still pretty good. (laughs) That's it. That's yeah. the beginning and end. That's because because as three people who have been in theater and we've talked about a lot, it's all about that validation. It's Absolutely. all about that affirmation. I need it. Nom, 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 nom. Give it to me. I need to eat it up like string cheese. 
<laughs> Ronnie, what else did you really like, my dude? Um, I just I, like I, I tell we me, talked. Tell me brief, what you loved. We talked briefly about the music. The if it it's very much lost on people who don't know the full story of Spring Awakening and know how these songs tell the story. But like, yeah, like episode. Um, where was it? It's the so episode six yes episode six um or no episode five i'm sorry uh we've all got our junk like that song like it so perfectly encapsulates like everything that is going on like the whole like we've all got our junk and my junk is you is like um all the the kids who are adolescents in in high school are talking about like how they're trying to be good kids and trying to follow the rules. But boy, this boy is really cute and really hot and I kind of want to do him. And, and it's just like, and that kind of pours out in that like increasing intensity. And it's just like, we've all got that thing. And for all these kids, like my, this is the thing that is keeping me from being the person I think I should be that, that society has told me that I should be. And it's just like, the way that they kind of weave the song into like the, the episode after everything has already happened. And, and, and these kids are going through this stuff where they're like, I'm being told I need to be this way. I'm, I'm being told that I need to go to a Catholic school and be a, a very good straight boy. And I'm being told that like from different sides of like, there's haves and have nots, like both the football dad and, and, and um, singing girls, mom have these conversations of like, Oh, there's there's haves and have nots and we're this. And it's just like you're being told that you're supposed to be this way. You're being told that like, you know, it, it just it just really this song strings so perfectly together. Um, I don't even know the show. And I felt like that song really fit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it like, was it was really I really felt that one. Yeah. And and at the end of end of episode six, when when uh, Lilette's mom walks in on the end of rehearsal and um, Lulette is singing Mama Who Bore Me. And she talks like, Mama Who Bore Me, Mama Who Gave Me, No Way to Handle Things Who Make Things So Bad. Like, you could see Lulette's mom cry of just, like, understanding the power that, like, this show is having and the power that, like, this particular musical has on these kids. Like, it's... That's what I fucking love about theater. And... And yeah. this show does really well is it has the the song come in to punch up those mm-hmm. moments. And mm-hmm. I do love the discussion of uh, soundtracks in movies and TV shows and how like there's different walls of them of like some songs exist in the space. Some songs don't like mm-hmm. some song like even if the cast is singing them, those songs don't actually exist in the space and to have a. Uh, a show about theater and you can have all the songs exist in the space and you can see it like emotionally affecting the characters in real time. It's mm-hmm. really cool. It's cool when shows do that. And what's beautiful about a show about theater is that it can focus on the rehearsal process. Yeah. You know, one, one of the things about theater that I, that I genuinely love is that um, it happens. You work so, so hard for it. It happens in like, less than one tenth of the time that it takes to get there. Like the performances are, 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 are 
like a snap. They're gone. And whoever saw it, saw it. Whoever didn't, didn't. And you will never be able to recapture that moment. I, I talked about this a lot with uh, mixology of just like, you know, of, of that thing of like the play is the thing. Once the play is done, you all go in your separate directions and it's yeah. like it never happened. Um, like that final we, cast party. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and what I love about this is that we get to see a little bit of that rehearsal process. Some of like the, the you know, difficult things that I and I wish it was more difficult of like, hey, Robbie, you're you want to do football? You're out of the show. Like, we'll get someone else to do it. Hey, Simon, you're going to another school. All right. We got to recast you. And like, you're not going to be able to jump back into it. Like those things are difficult. And that would be a hard thing to put in the show. But like, that's what I want to see is like the the grit. And, and and here I am talking like it's like physical sports, but like the grit and and the the kind of animosity that you have to go through to get to that beautiful end product that like nobody knows wh- what you did to get there. They just know that what they saw was something that had a lot of effort and a lot of work put into it. And I love that we get to see a little bit of the beforehand on this. Can I just say that it is uh, a fucking crime that Glee got like nine seasons yeah and rise yeah. got one because y'all glee glee's not good mm-hmm. glee was never good there was no point in glee's existence where it was good i didn't really watch glee that much glee just that, existed for them tunes yeah as a, as a musical theater kid like the fact that i didn't even dip my toe into glee probably says all that i need to know about glee I really felt like I was supposed to like it because yeah. like I was in theater and so I tried to watch it and I got halfway through season one and was like, This is garbage. Yeah. Well it's a comedy and, and it's a, at a time in comedies when like jokes about things that are not okay were okay and like it it just you know, it never really like I was talking with somebody on, on Twitter about this, like shows like um Fame, I believe it was. Or, or Smash. Smash was another musical theater show that didn't really take off. And it's like, why does Glee get this? Like, what what needs to happen? Do we need to do a show about, like, do we need to do Jersey Boys, where it's all Frankie Valley tunes that everyone can get into? We're moving out, where it's all Billy Joel songs people can get into. Like, what needs to be the context of a show that makes it, of a musical theater-based show, that makes it palatable enough that people want to see it continue? I just don't, I don't know what the what the answer is there. Also, like, if you love Glee, don't, don't fucking at me. Like, everyone don't likes garbage him. shows at some point, And, like, you're allowed to like your garbage show. If you want to get at me about the Jar Jar thing, that you can get at me for. <laughs> but, like, don't at me about Glee. Sure. Fuck. Yeah. Um, I think it's safe to end it there. We've been sure? talking about this show for so, so long now. There's just so I want to keep going. There's a lot of nuance to it. And yeah, there's a, a lot. There's of, a there's ton a lot going on. Yeah, there, that's and, the thing. There, yeah. And if if it feels like we've been too negative, I I genuinely think this is a good show. Yeah, and I genuinely enjoy watching it. Mm-hmm. The the issues that we bring up, we bring up because they are big issues that like we we need to talk about and some of them i even feel like morally obligated to talk about sure but it's still a really fun good show and i i I genuinely think that it's telling a story that's worth telling and telling a story that's worth exploring 
and has good characters that are like worth rooting for yeah um and so even though like we might feel like or it might feel like we're we're a bit harsh like i i want to i want to soften any any blows that if you were a huge rise fan uh like i'm not coming at you like the way i was coming at glee 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 was garbage and rise should have had more seasons than glee um y'all have caught whatever disease i have that makes me allergic to joy and fun (laughs) no no like i don't i don't think we have but um the there there is a lot of nuance and it it's hard to parse through all of that and and so if we do sound negative like i I just want to take a second and say that i believe in the show and so far it still really is working for me yeah i i I mean clearly this show this show is it means so much to me like I, i can't can't get around that fact um the things that we are talking about are exactly what you said andy it's it's important to talk about them like i feel like i'm not mentioning as many things i like because it's just like it feels it's like we said last time it's so grounded like it feels so real that it's just like this is just like watching life and anytime it starts to feel like it's not life it's like ooh, the cracks are showing here a little bit let's address that but for the most part it's just like i could see like i could go down to the high school that i worked at when i for the theater department and see so much of this happening and be like yep yep this is rise remember remember when we were watching roar and i was like kind of dismissing the the bad shit like oh well it was the 90s and this is a shitty show uh the reason that like i'm not giving a pass to like less good stuff in this show is because like it otherwise has very high standards and i like in the specific areas where it fails it has set up an expectation that's higher than was set up in like roar which is just a shitty show from the 90s you know yeah like when when rise does miss it's very obvious because so much of it is done so well right i like did did you guys have a loo like when you were in like high school or like doing theater did you guys have a loo that like really helped you I mean, I had this Lou, yeah. so that, that I'm cheating a little bit. That's fair. You guys can talk about it. Did you have a Lou? Um, no, my my one theater director was was I, but I was never like particularly close to either of the people who were running the theater at my high school. I I was real close to my like fellow student actors, gotcha. but I never felt like the the person in charge of theater was uh like instrumental in my life in any significant way yeah at at some point um as we go through this maybe on one of the later episodes where we only have two episodes to review i'll have to kind of just give a little bit of a of a two minute synopsis of like what lou really was and i'm talking about so not lou mazzichelli i'm talking about lou volpe who is like it I, i i can't I can't go there right now because it will it will be another hour and a half episode <laughs> that we've already done. Um, but that I, I will maybe have to kind of bring that up a little bit later and share that share that with y'all. Um, but I'm really just you know one of the things that mixology gave me that like it didn't give y'all and I was excited to share with you was just that like I felt like the show had something to say like yeah. through all like the, the terrible 
nonsense that the show, you know, made us wade through, I felt like it had something to say. And as I have shared with y'all, like, I have watched ahead of you, but not much. I think I have, like, one more episode to go, and then that's as far as I've gone. Um, I'm excited to, like, see what this show's conclusion is and see what it wants to tell, tell us, because... There's a lot here, and if it does a good job of kind of take, it, it's great to to have good writing, and to uh, tell a story and tell many stories and tell them well. But at a certain point, you have to kind of tie them all up in a nice bow. And I'm interested to see how they do that, and and what kind of story they're trying to say, and what conclusion they're trying to make. When you talk about your Lou, I'm going to talk about my Lou. Oh, that'll be a good episode. But yeah. Uh... So I, I guess we can all kind of say to wrap this up if it's working as a whole episodes one through six so far for me it is uh, when it when it misses like it, it does bum me up because overall I, I think very highly of the show but I would absolutely recommend this to um, to a friend Evan yeah I think it's working. Are you just saying that because we all just had like real heartfelt moments about it? No, like, I mean, I said at the very beginning, like, it's, it's not like my kind of show and there are things that really annoy me about it, but like we've said before that our standard for whether or not it's working is would we recommend it to someone basically? Like, do we, do we think, think highly enough of it to recommend it to someone who like, whose wheelhouse it's in, you know? And I, I do feel like I genuinely feel that like really overall on an objective level, it's a good show. Like I'm just the things that bother me about it really bother me. So, yep. Yeah. But I like, I, I have to say in all fairness that I do think it's working. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's definitely also working for me. No surprises there. Um, the, the, and it's not just, I mean, I don't know. I can't, I can't ever be a person who didn't experience this or a version of this or a precursor to this in real life. Um, so I can't say like, even if I wasn't a part of Truman drama, the de facto Stanton drama, like I would still love it. But I have to think that I would because I'm a big, big musical theater nerd no matter what and would love just if if this show just came on once a week and played Spring Awakening tunes, I'd be like, greatest show ever. 10 out of 10. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so it's good. Um, I want to thank everyone who I know is listening from the Rise community. Um, uh, people are, are really hyped about getting Rise, maybe even a second season. So we, we are certainly behind that. We want to see this this show continue on. If they get a second season, we have to burn all these episodes we and erase all, all evidence episodes. of their existence. Exactly, but we can't we really will... do it because it's the internet, bitches. It... No, I have control of the internet. I am the mass. I am the master of the internet. All you gotta do is delete it, and then it's gone forever. It does whole... astound me that there's only one season of Rise. Yeah, yeah, doesn't make it... sense. I, 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 we'll talk more later in our in our episodes about why that might be, and I think that there's a lot more nuance to it. Uh, if we if we uh, check out a Fox News article, it's because it was just too liberal. <laughs> um, that's one of the one, that's one of the top hits 
oh, that boy. you get about searching for rise. So thanks, Google. Your algorithm's working really good. Um, <laughs> Google really gets you as a person. Yeah. Also, for sure. Fox really gets it, too. Yeah, yeah, totally. Those liberal shows just don't work. Yeah. Fox has um, got their finger on the pulse. You know what shows work? Last Man Standing. Tim Allen shows. That's what the people want. Thank you so much to everyone from the Rise community who is watching this show. Um, thanks so much to everyone everyone from, <laughs> you know, Drama High who's read that book. Anyone who's been a part of Truman Drama who's listened to the show. Thanks so much. We are going to keep working on trying to potentially get somebody from the cast on the show. We'd love to do that. So so uh, let us know. Uh, tell us your Rise story or your drama story or, or why this show is important to you. Send us those emails, penningpod at gmail.com. Send us a tweet, penningpod on Twitter, penningpod on Facebook. Uh, we want to hear from you. Um, we would love to share your story and, and tell people why you know, this show or theater or your Lou in general, why why this is so important to you because it's important to me and I want to I want to share all your stories. But that's um, it for t- that's it for this time. Yeah. That's I know it. you've been listening for basically an hour and a half now and we appreciate you. Uh real quick, uh check out Lunar Light. Their shit's real good. Yes. Um I I've been listening to some what you call it, what you call it. I was going to talk about what you call it. Oh, you go then. No, that's fine. You can go. It's a real fun, like chill podcast. Yeah. What you call it's fun. It's, it's, it's a real, just, you know, we talk about how we love this show being grounded. What you call it is like the grounded podcast. If I've ever seen it of just like two people who clearly really enjoy each other sharing just, just the way that they're, life is working out and the way their days are days are uh, happening and i, I enjoy they're, kind of they're just that. real nerdy they're real fun yeah. it, it feels like you're getting coffee with friends when you listen and, to and they're but like your funniest friends yeah not like your douchebag friends that you kind of dislike but like real fun interesting friends i've just been binging cryptid keeper guys <laughs> i've just been binging it on the train it's so good it's a good show we really do love them well i love cryptids anyway and they're yeah. just they're just delightful they get real deep sometimes they get not very deep at all a lot of the time they mentioned how they uh harper's ferry and like evan and i live right by harper's ferry so yeah. i'm like we can see harper's ferry from our house yeah i'm like oh i i hope they i hope they become our friends somehow in real life <laughs> i don't yeah. know how creepy that is it's probably very creepy well but. i can, we can literally see into west virginia and alex is obsessed with west virginia so yeah. we could just call them and be like hey do you want to talk about west virginia they're, they're and- constantly just talking about like where our house is so it's just like oh we should be friends but i'm right. it Let's let's wrap this yeah. shit up. As I said, follow us on Twitter at PenningPod, on Facebook at PenningPod. Send us emails, PenningPod at gmail.com. Give us those good iTunes reviews. And uh, and we will see you on our next episode of Rise. And we're never doing Firefly. If you're a cop, you have to tell us. That too. Yup. <laughs>